Thank you very much. I enjoy. I was sort of enjoying it so much, I, did, I sort of didn't realise I had to come up. How many are enjoying them? They're doing a great job, aren't they? Come on, let's give them a clap. Absolutely wonderful. I was saying, so good you should be doing the uh, anointing service. <laughs> it's wonderful to be with you. And uh, we've been looking forward to this time uh, where we can experience God together. And uh, over this uh, two days that you've set aside, uh, what you experience of God really depends on how hungry you are, how willing you are to just take a step. Wherever you are in your walk with God, just take a step. Just take a step of trust and go a little further than you've been before. So over, this, uh, over these couple of days, we're expecting God to touch your lives, the Holy Spirit to touch you very deeply. And uh, I want to speak in this session on the baptism in the Holy Spirit, power from on high. Or you could just say, anointing la. <laughs> so we'll look in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, I want to read from verse 29 to 34. 29 to 34, John chapter 1. In the second session, I want to teach on the gift of speaking in tongues and what is its purpose, because I found that if people don't understand the purpose of something, they neglect and misuse it. And uh, I believe you'll find it very powerful. I'll get you to do some things to exercise your spirit. It'll be very good. So let's read in John chapter 1. And uh, we're looking, at, firstly, at the ministry of Jesus. And uh, in verse 29, this is the time when Jesus is water baptized. It's the beginning of his ministry. Jesus has come from heaven to earth. He's virtually remained secret for 30 years, with only one appearance as a 12-year-old. And now here he is at the age of 30. He's about to begin his mission. And at the beginning of his mission, he sets off by getting water baptized, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon him. So I want to read about this account, and I want to show you two aspects of Jesus' ministry that John reveals here. Two aspects. Let's have a look and read the verse. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he that comes uh, after me, the man who's preferred before me and now was before me. In verse 32, Jesus, John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remaining upon him. And I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So in this passage, John reveals two things about Jesus. The first thing he reveals is Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now to us, that doesn't mean very much. But to the Hebrews, it was incredibly symbolic. The Hebrews, familiar with uh, 1,500 years of history, look back to the day of Moses, when Moses delivered them, the whole nation, out of slavery to Egypt. For 400 years, they had lived as slaves in bondage. For 400 years, they'd been powerless. For 400 years, They'd lived under taskmasters. Their life had been painful and sorrowful. And finally, Moses came, a great deliverer, did many miracles. But the final and the last miracle was when God instructed him to take a lamb without spot or blemish and to apply the blood of that lamb to the lintels and the doorposts of the house. And that night, the destroyer would go through Egypt and when he saw the blood, he would pass over the house. The firstborn would not die. So when John spoke, this is the Lamb of God, it immediately brought back memories of this great day in their history, a historic moment like the founding or birthing of their nation when the Lamb was slain and the blood was shed 
and the destroyer, the demonic powers passed over them, and that night they were set free, came out of Egypt, and were established as a nation in the promised land. So when John said, this is the Lamb of God, he is stirring up their memories of a great deliverance from slave masters who ruled their lives. He's speaking of a great day in Israel's history. And he's saying all of this was just a picture because when Jesus has now come, he will be God's lamb. He will take away the sins, not only of Israel, but of the whole world. He is God's lamb. So the first thing he he addresses is that the ministry of Jesus will be to deal with the issue of sin. Many people, and particularly Christians, get preoccupied with sin and failure. God is not preoccupied with your sin. When He looks at you, He is not burdened by the sin. In fact, He looks at you through what Jesus has done and wants you to believe that God has made provision for every sin, every failure, everything that could separate you from God, He has made provision at the cross when Jesus shed His blood. The day Jesus shed His blood, the day He died on the cross, the Bible says there was a great earthquake. It says that the temple curtain was ripped from top to bottom, God declaring, now it's possible for every person to have access to Him. So often we live conscious of our failures. We live aware of the things that are wrong. This is the evidence of a life before Christ. It's the remnant of it. God does not want you to live conscious of sin. He wants you to live conscious of forgiveness. When I ask Christians this question, I say, hey, do you believe Jesus forgives you? They'll say, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Then when I say, do you feel forgiven? Do you feel you are right with God? That you are in right standing with God? Most Christians are very quiet because they're aware that the way they live their life is conscious of failures and distance from God. And this is not how God wants you to live. God wants you to live innocent before Him, knowing your sins are forgiven. The Bible says, in Christ, we have received forgiveness for all our sins. Every possible failure you could have made, every possible thing you could have done wrong, whatever is wrong now, whatever you could do wrong in the future, God has made a provision for all of this. His desire is to take you past that and to bring you to something else. Notice what the second revelation that John brings of Jesus Christ. Not only is he the Lamb of God, but he is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. God wants you to move in your journey with him to be free of the power of sin, to know your sins are forgiven, and you have right standing with God because of what Jesus did. We have free access to God because of what Jesus did. We can come confidently to God because of what Jesus did. So the Bible says the second thing was, Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And this is what God wants to bring you to. A life living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Instead of a life conscious of sin and failure and things that are wrong, a life conscious of God and His presence with you. Can you imagine living your life that way? People always remind us of the things we've done wrong. God remind us of what Jesus did on our behalf. People remind you of your past. God reminds you of who you are in Him and the wonderful future He has. People focus on the things that are wrong and lacking. God says, I see you complete in my son, Jesus Christ. So I need, and you need, to become baptized or immersed in the Spirit. The word baptize, it can't be translated or it wasn't translated from the original language. The original language, they use the word bapto 
or baptizo. And so when they translated it, because they couldn't kind of put a, a language to it, they just made it, they anglicized the word. So the word baptizo became just baptize. But if you were to search the original language, the way they used the word baptizo, it was something like this. If a boat sank, boat going in the ocean has some trouble and it sinks, they say the boat has been baptized. It is submerged. If you have a, a piece of cloth and you put it in a stain or a dye to stain it, you baptize it in the dye and the stain. You immerse it into it until it becomes saturated with the stain or the dye. And so he's saying Jesus' ministry not only is to remove sin and to act as your representative on behalf of you to deal with the issue of sin, but also he is the one who baptizes, who immerses you into the realm of the Spirit, immerses you into an experience with the Holy Spirit, immerses you into the realm where you have free access to the life and power of God. So God wants us to experience our sins forgiven and then to move on being baptized in the Spirit and enjoying life in the Spirit. What a fantastic thing. When we read the same event in Luke chapter 3, the Bible tells us when Jesus was baptized in the Spirit, it said the heaven was opened. I assume that meant it was closed before. What does it mean to have an open heaven? It means you have free access into the presence of God free access into the realm where God lives, free access to the dimensions of the Spirit. We'll talk about that in very practical terms soon. So the heavens were opened, and the Father said, this is my Son, confirming His identity. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So I want to uh, have a look and see the impact of that anointing that came on Jesus. We look at it in Acts chapter 10. Jesus was empowered to advance the kingdom. Look at this in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts 10 and verse 38. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. He was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil Notice the statement, for God was with him. God was with him. So the Bible describes Jesus' ministry. It said he was anointed. People have different understandings of what the word anointed means. For us, we don't use that word very frequently. You don't kind of use it day to day. Most of the week you don't use it. In fact, the only place you hear it's in church. Anointing. And we don't always understand what we're talking about. But everyone uses the language. So after a little while, we get to use the language too. Or anointing. We're not quite sure what we're talking about. So I hope I can make it clear. The Bible says Jesus was anointed. The word anointed means literally to smear with oil. Again, for the Hebrews, they understood exactly what it referred to. If you were a Hebrew in that day, this is what you would understand it to mean. That certain individuals are specially chosen by God for a work, and in order to do that work, they get a special oil poured on them, a fragrant oil poured on them. It sets them apart for that work. And the Spirit of God comes upon them to enable them to do it. But you would be aware also that this referred only to a very few people. Priest, a prophet, a king. Three people at the most anointed. Prophet, priest, and king. So David was anointed to do something. Oil was poured upon his head. And with that oil coming on him, he was smeared with oil. But when the oil came on him, 
David was anointed to be king, and so for him, he became an incredible warrior who never lost a battle. Solomon was anointed with wisdom, and so he wrote much and composed much. So each time you see the word anointed, it meant someone had oil put on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were empowered for a special work. So notice what it says of Jesus here. He was anointed. Anointed what? Not just with oil. He was anointed or he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So anointing means empowering. You are empowered. So Jesus was empowered by the Spirit of God to do something. And as we will see, that when God, God's plan is not just for one or two or three people to be anointed. God's plan is for all of His children to be anointed. God's plan is for you to be anointed. Why do you need to be anointed? Because God has an assignment for you. God has a work for you. The anointing uh, is the person of the Holy Spirit coming upon you to empower you to do something. So when you think of anointing, think of the Holy Spirit working and active in your life. So when we say anointing, we're referring to the word the Holy Spirit, because the word anointing is the word Christos, or it comes from a similar root word, Christ, or anointed, or anointed one. It means the empowering of the Holy Spirit to help you do something. Now, let's have a look. You notice here, it talks about Jesus being anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, but it's always for a purpose. And you'll find whenever the anointing was poured out on people, there was always a purpose for it. There's always a reason for it. There's something God wants you to do. He, want, he doesn't just want you to just shake. It's okay if you shake with the anointing on you, but that doesn't make you spiritual. It just means you're shaking. See, it doesn't make you spiritual. Some people look, oh, very spiritual. That doesn't make you spiritual. All it means is you're shaking. Oh, anointing. That just means you're shaking. That's all. Uh, some people, when the Spirit of God comes on them, anointing comes on, the Holy Spirit comes on them, they begin to laugh. So laugh. That's great to laugh because the Holy Spirit brings joy. But that doesn't make you spiritual. See, it just means you're laughing. You're expressing something of the Holy Spirit. Some people, when the Holy Spirit comes on them, they begin to weep. Some begin to manifest. It's just when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'd expect something to happen, wouldn't you? So the anointing. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Notice it said he went about doing good. Doing good means wherever he went, he ministered to people. God is a good God. He not only wants to touch your life and bless you, he wants to bless you so you become a blessing to others. So the purpose of the anointing in your life, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, is so you'll do good wherever you go. If you're in the business area, you will do good in that place. 
If you're in teaching, you'll do good in the teaching arena. If you work in a community, you'll do good there. In other words, you will actually represent what God is like to people. The Lord is good. So when it says he went about doing good, he went about revealing the kindness of God to people. So the anointing of God enables you to demonstrate the goodness of God to people. He went about doing good. So every day when you get up, I'm anointed with the Holy Ghost. Today as I go out, I will do good. Wherever I go, there will be a river of God flowing. It's, it's when you understand that the anointing is the person of the Holy Spirit empowering you to do something different where you go. Then your focus comes not on anointing, but on assignment upon your mission. What are you called to do? See, I have many people that say, well, I want more anointing. I say, you have enough. Go do something with it. Do something with what you've got. I just want more, 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 more. Hey, what are you doing with what you've got? The anointing is the empowerment for serving. It's to do something that advances the kingdom of God. You want more anointing? Do more for the kingdom of God. Take on more responsibility. Embrace what God called you to do. We look at someone else, oh, they're more anointed than me. I want what they have. Oh, give me what you have. Give me what you have. No, what they have is for what they have to do. God gives you enough for what you have to do. So Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, went about doing good. And notice it says he healed all who were oppressed of the devil. The word oppressed means it's made of two words. The word down, like holding someone down, and the word Donesco means exercise spiritual power, hold someone down. So what it's saying is, the devil holds people down. And he does it by spiritual force in their life. When people sin, or their heart is broken, or they have tragedies in life, evil spirits gain access and then hold the person down, down in their grief, down in their pain, down in their sorrow, holding them in that place of torment, so they can't be free. So Jesus healed all who are oppressed of the devil. If people are bound by spirits, they need power to set them free. Where Jesus went, he went into a culture where people were sick. Everywhere he went, people were sick. Everywhere he went, people were tormented by evil spirits. So his job, his job description was destroy the works of the devil, set people free. Luke 61, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. Now notice when you read Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's anointed me to shake. <laughs> no, no, it didn't say that. He's anointed me to do something that will help people. Anointing is always with mission. It's the Spirit of God wanting to accomplish something in you and through you. Once you've got that clear, you want more anointing, embrace serving God more. We say we want more of God. God actually wants more of you. So rather than say, oh, God, give me more anointing. God, I, I give you more of me. See, the Bible says if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. So who's got to make the first move? You do. As you draw near to him, you have more of him. And we draw near to him and we surrender and God fills our life. God was with him. So Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And wherever he went, there was a flow of power that touched people. There was an endless river of God. Now I want you to have a look in John chapter 14. Because we see that Jesus made a promise of the Holy Spirit to his followers. I want to explore that promise. 
John chapter 14. In John 14, Jesus is at the end of his ministry. He's ministered for three and a half years. He's healed the sick, cast out evil spirits, taught. He's helped people, showed kindness to people, done good to people. Now he's come to the end of his ministry, and he begins to announce to his disciples he's about to give his life on the cross, become the Lamb of God. He will arise from the dead and ascend to heaven. And now they're very disturbed. Hey, we followed you for three and a half years. Now you're planning to leave us? What's all this? Don't do it. And so what Jesus says to them in John chapter 14, verse 16, I will pray the Father, he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. See that word? Forever. With you, forever. 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 Have a look at that. We'll come back to that. Even the spirit of truth the world can't receive because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. In you, with you, forever. What an amazing thing. Now, what you've got to understand here is Jesus is unfolding to them something they did not understand or know. They didn't realize that God's plan of revealing himself to the world is progressive. In fact, as you go through the Bible, there is progressive revelation of God's plan. So when you have a look in the day of Abraham, for Abraham, he didn't know much about God. All he knew was God was up there. And so when Abraham wanted to make sacrifice or wanted to get near to God, he went upon a mountain. That was his understanding of God. You wanted to get near to God, you go up. That's all he knew. So he went up. And of course, all the people uh, in, the, in those days who worshipped demonic gods, well, they went up too. So there were high places on mountains. Everyone went up. You wanted to meet with God, go up. Even today, for many people, when you ask them, where is God? Up. But, you know, you point here, where is God? Up. And around the other side of the world, they're pointing, where is God? Up. You see, it was just a concept he had, that God is up. He didn't understand that the kingdom of God would come nearer and nearer and nearer until it would finally be within us. Then God spoke to Moses, and uh, Moses came up with a great revelation. And you can imagine how dramatic and, and how changing this was when his revelation is, actually, God is going to live with us in a tent. Now, you could have followed Abraham. No, God is up. Or follow Moses. God is in the tent. And so they built a tabernacle, three rooms, and the presence of God, the glory of God came down and filled that tent. So if you wanted to see what God was doing in Moses' day, go to the tent Moses built. Very formal worship, only one person able to get in. Very formal, three rooms, only once a year you get in. But that's better than going up. Now you go to the tent. And you can see the glory cloud over it. You can tell God is with us. Every day they got up, presence of God is there. They followed that presence. Then David, God spoke to him and said, I want to change the whole worship style. Instead of a tent and three rooms, just a simple tent. And we'll have 24 hours a day. We'll have worship and singing and rejoicing and music and laughing. You can imagine if you were a follower of Moses. Music? I don't think so. God doesn't like music. He wants us to be silent and reverent. Shh, quiet. See? So Mo what J David did was radical. He was saying that if we want to be in the presence of God, we need to learn to worship and rejoice. And, and, and so he introduced music and worship. In fact, it became a permanent thing. God said in the book of Acts, he said, I'll restore the tabernacle of David. And this morning, I, I listened and heard the music and the words. I thought, this is wonderful. But I remember when I first came to Living Sanctuary, quiet, suits. Go to church, wear suit. 
See? It's all in the thinking. And then now Jesus came, and this is Jesus brought a new revelation. He said, you know, hey, in Abraham's day you went up. Moses stay in the tent. David stay in the tent. Solomon stay in the temple. He said, now I am the temple. God is in a person. That's radical. Now, this is what Jesus is about to say. He said, you've seen the Holy Spirit at work. You've seen the manifestation of his life in me. But he said, now I have to go to my father because soon he will be in you. You and you and you and you and you and you and you. He will be in many, many people. Because the plan of God is to invade people's lives, to put His Spirit inside us, so that wherever we go, the river of God, the life of God, the temple of God is there. So you'll never have to come to a building again. God is in here. God not up there. He's in here going to come and live in us. And that is what he said to them. He said, I will give you another comforter. That word comforter is the word meaning someone whose calling is to come alongside and near you. What he's saying is he's saying, look, he said, if I just stay here on the earth, everyone who wants to meet with God will have to come here. But he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to all my spirit and every one of you will be part of the temple of God. Everyone will carry anointing. Everyone will carry the presence of God within you. What an amazing revelation. They, they struggled to, to, to understand that. Let's have a look at it and we'll see how this first took place. And then we'll see the promise of the spirit. In John chapter 21. John 21. 20, sorry. John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22, Jesus said, As the Father sent me, I also sent you. And when he said this, he breathed on them. <laughs> Means to blow upon. Jesus did it, blew upon them. <laughs> and then he said, Receive the Spirit. So what happened then was they received the anointing within them. The Holy Spirit, the anointing, Inside them, they received the Holy Ghost. They were born again. The anointing within you is to establish your identity. You are a child of God. The Spirit within you witnesses with your spirit, I belong to my Father in heaven. I'm a child of God. So they were born again. Now I want you to see something else in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Verse 4, he said, being assembled together with them, he commanded them, don't leave. Now, you notice, they're born again, and now Jesus commands them, listen, don't leave Jerusalem. I have an assignment for you. And so he says, wait until the promise of the Father, which you've heard from me. For John baptized in water, you will be baptized in the Spirit not many days from now. Of course, not many days. We know it turned out to be 10 days, but not many days. Could be one or two. Could be 100. I don't know. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And there it is again. You shall be witnesses unto me. In other words, the Holy Spirit anointing is going to be given to them for an assignment. I want you to go and change the world. Anointing and assignment are connected like that. No assignment, no anointing. Anointing and assignment. When the church focuses only on the anointing and things of the Spirit and not on its mission to the community, it totally loses its way. There's a tendency for us to want to continually enjoy experiences and not engage in mission. The disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration loved the experience. They said, let's stay here and build a temple. He said, no, we've got to go down. We have a mission. So the Holy Spirit is given and poured out upon them for a mission. The anointing within you is to establish your identity. Holy Spirit living within you, you are a child of God. Holy Spirit not living within you, you are not a child of God. Holy Spirit living within you, 
He lives within you to guide you, to lead you, teach you, instruct you, to transform you to become more and more like Jesus. That is the work of the Spirit. He's called the Spirit of Truth. He will lead you into what is true, into God's perspective for your life. But he said, there is also an anointing that comes on you, the anointing of the Holy Spirit being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Of course, we've read the book, we know what happens. Notice he said, the power to become a witness. That means two things. One, to live a life that represents Jesus well. You want to be a witness? Live a life that's a witness. A person who in the face of difficulties keeps a positive attitude because of their trust in God, that is a witness. A person in the face of tragedy and setback is able to overcome it because of the presence of God, that is a witness. A person who facing failure can get back up again and get moving again, that is a witness of the power and goodness of God. Sometimes we think of being a witness only in terms of sharing the gospel. But people watch your life. They watch the life you live. They watch how you relate, husband and wife. They watch how you relate, parents to children. They watch what you do at work when you're under pressure. People watch your life. Jesus gives you power to live a life that it represents Him well. In other words, the fruit of God begins to be manifested in your life. Peace. The Holy Spirit working in your life is peace. I look at some people, you come near them. Ah, oh, stress, 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 stress. Oh, you can almost feel the whole effort with tension. That's not being a witness. That's being like everyone else. But when in the midst of pressure, there's peace. Oh, that's a witness. How come you're peaceful? See, the Holy Spirit in our life is joy brings joy. When you have joy in the midst of adversity, that's a witness. When you complain, you're just like everyone else. So he gives us power, one, to live a life that represents Jesus, and two, power for ministry, power to help people, power to pray for people and see God at work through you. This is for every believer. We tend to, in our mind, think, well, there's just some specially anointed people. Where did you get that idea from? Every believer is called to be anointed. Every believer. You see, some are anointed for some kind of work, and so what God does through them will be different to what He does through you. You don't have to copy. There's only one Benny Hinn. You can't be Benny Hinn. You have to be you. Oh, I want, I want, I want, I want. I want to become like you. I want to be famous. No, 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 no. You need to be you. And if God has not called, you're not, not called you to be Benny Hinn, He's called you to be you. He's not called you to be me. He's called you to be you. There's only one of you. So the Holy Spirit is given that the best of you, who you are, will come out. The Holy Spirit is given so you're empowered to pray for people and see God at work. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every person. That includes you. Okay, let's have a look now at the pouring out of the Holy Ghost. And I want you to see something that comes with it. Then we'll close in and uh, we'll talk how to receive and then pray together. When the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Like a rushing mighty wind. Filled the whole house where they were sitting. They appeared like tongues like fire and sat on each of them. And here it is. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them words to speak clearly and strongly. Now, you notice here that they have been seeking God. The first thing you notice in here is there was desire. There was hunger. Jesus said, wait, wait. Don't do anything until empowered. Once empowered, then you'll be able to be accomplish what I need because the Holy Spirit will give you boldness. So notice that the Spirit of God. So every day they prayed. Now you can read the book. You know what happened. They had no idea what was going to happen. It's never happened before. 
So they say, well, Holy Spirit's going to come. I wonder what it'll look like. I wonder what will happen. I wonder. They didn't know. What they did have, though, was a hunger. We want the promise Jesus gave us. Jesus has got many promises for you, but the one thing that is important to be able to get hold of them is you must want them and pursue them. So they prayed every day, oh, Jesus, send the Holy Spirit. They prayed psalms, they sang hymns, they gathered together, they probably confessed sin, and they're saying, today is today the day. Then the next day they got up, and some had gone, and they began to go, today, perhaps today's the day. Ten days that went on. And finally, suddenly, a mighty wind, whoosh, came in. The Spirit of God fell on them. They began to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And you know something? If you filled, you overflow. Overflowing. One of the signs you're filled with the Holy Spirit is you overflow. You get a cup and you fill it right to the top and then try and walk through this building with it. It's going to spill. It's going to overflow. So they were filled. And the first evidence of their being filled was something came out of their mouth. They began to speak in a new language. They spoke in a language that God gave them. It's the overflow of the Spirit. What you need to understand is the baptism of the Spirit is the entrance experience into a whole new world of living filled with the Spirit. It's not just a one-off experience. It's an entry experience upon which we continue to be filled and to go forward with God. So they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues. Oh, ba, 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 shake, ba, ba. And did they shake? I'm sure they shook. In fact, I'm positive they shook because when people came, there's such a noise going on. Everyone, wah, 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 wah. Everyone. And, and people come and said, hey, they've been drinking. <laughs> drinking wine. Now, why do you think they thought they'd been drinking wine? It's because of what they saw and what they heard. They, they can't understand what they're doing. And they're staggering around like drunk people. They're overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. Some are laughing. Some are rolling on the floor. Some are shaking. They say, what can you make of that? Drinking too much wine. When people drink wine, they get happy. Start to laugh. Stagger. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they thought they were full. They thought they'd been drinking. And Peter said, no, 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 no. We have not been drinking. This is what the Holy Spirit spoke. In verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I pour out my spirit. Young men shall prophesy. All men have visions and dreams. He said, this is what's been promised for hundreds of years. Here it is. This is what it looks like. People filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues and the Spirit of God working through their life. They were excited, very excited. Notice what he says in verse 39. He said, the promise is to you, your children, and to all who are afar off. Now, the most interesting thing that we see in this, in this passage here is the first entrance into the realm of the Spirit was accompanied by a new language. Why is that important? When I first went to Taiwan, uh, I've been to Singapore a few times, and I went to Taiwan thinking, oh, well, Taiwan would be pretty similar, I suppose. Went to, went to Taiwan. What? No one speaking English. I don't understand anything. In Singapore, at least I learn how they talk. It's different to what I'm used to, used to at home, you know. I had my wife there, and she wanted to post a letter. And uh, she got up to a man, where's the post office? Huh? Uh, hey, where's the post office? I want, I want to post a letter. Where's the post office? Huh? You know, where's the post office? Huh? I said, that's not how you do. You do like this. Hey, post office. He said, hey, post office. Hey, that way. <laughs> so you have to learn how to speak in the right language, eh? I go to Taiwan, though. No post office. I don't understand anything they're saying. I look at the words, I can't read the words, I can't read the words, I can't hear the words, I can't understand, I'm totally helpless in that culture. I can't even find my way around. 
It was the same when I went to India. They have these writing. They say it's words. It looks to me like someone scribbled when they were drinking. I couldn't read it all. And I thought, I'm lost here without an interpreter, someone to give me language to enter that culture. I need an interpreter to enter the culture with me and help me in interacting with this new culture. It's all unfamiliar to me. When you get baptized in the Spirit, you're now entering into the culture of the kingdom realm, the realm of the Spirit, and you have to learn new things. And you need someone to help you. Jesus said, I'm going to give him to you. He's the Holy Spirit. And not only will he help you, he'll never, ever leave you. He'll always be with you. And he's going to give you language. Now, when I'm working with an interpreter, which I actually got used to now, we go like this. You know, you get used to it. In fact, I came here, when I stand up and I see Chinese people, I'm automatically in my mindset thinking, interpreter, like this. And then I find, no interpreter, I've got to keep speaking. It's different. But in, in Taiwan, using an interpreter. So what he's, what he's saying is, the Holy Spirit gives you a language to find expression in the realm of the kingdom. In the second session, I'm going to share you what that is and how you use it, what it's meant to do. And I think it'll open your eyes a bit when you see what it's meant to do. So they began to speak in tongues. Now, is that the only time they spoke in tongues? Not at all. In Acts chapter 10, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, verse 44, was poured out upon the Gentiles. And do you know how they got the Holy Spirit? Do you know how they knew they'd got the Holy Spirit? They said, they're all speaking in tongues like us and magnifying God. They must have got what we got. They connected speaking in tongues with being filled with the Spirit. They said, they've got what we've got. Well, we should baptize them now. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Paul goes down to Ephesus. He says, were you baptized? They said, we baptized. Did you get the Holy Ghost? He said, we don't know about the Holy Ghost. And so he laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them. They were baptized in the Spirit. How do they know? They spoke in tongues and began to prophesy. There was a release from within when they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's other examples. Paul, Acts chapter 9. On, he's driving, he's riding on his horse, and the, a light appears to him. He's thrown to the ground, struck blind. He's in the darkness for three days, and Ananias comes and lays hands on him. And he says, Holy Ghost is going to fill you, and you're called and assigned to a mission. The Bible tells he got filled with the Spirit, and we know from what he wrote that he spoke in tongues. There's example after example that when people got filled with the Spirit, they got a language to express the life of the Spirit in the culture of the kingdom. So each time we see that, we see that same thing. I'll share about that in the next session. So why, why, did you, why is it important to get a language? You need to be able to express your thoughts, your ideas from your spirit. Now, how many here speak in English or Singlish? Okay, we say Singlish. How many speak in Singlish? Yeah, most people. Okay. How many speak in Mandarin? Wow. That's very good. I can't speak in that language. Hokkien? Yeah, some, wow, look at that. I guess there's other ones as well. We were talking with one young girl. She spoke about five different languages. Wow. So language enables you to communicate ideas. Language and culture are deeply connected. If you don't know Mandarin, you've become separated from your roots of your culture. That's why no doubt the government tries to encourage you to learn your native language, the language of the culture. So when we get baptized in the Spirit, we get the language of heaven. See, heaven's got a language? Think about that. What language will they speak in heaven? Obviously Chinese. <laughs> because there's more Chinese than anyone. The Indians would say no. What are they going to be speaking Indian? <laughs> More of us. Actually, in the realm of the spirit, I don't think it'll be like that at all. I was in a, in a place in uh, Indonesia. I was also, the same thing happened to me in Taiwan. And uh, I prayed for this person, and immediately the demon manifest. 
And the demons say, I hate you. I want to kill you. So I thought, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's probably an evil spirit. You can tell by its nature. Now, here's the interesting thing was this. That person I prayed for couldn't speak a word of English. So language in the world of the Spirit, there's a spiritual language needed, and the Holy Spirit gives it to us. How about that? So I don't know what language they speak in heaven, but I know I'll understand everyone. I'll understand everyone. So there must be a language, part of the culture. So how do you get to receive the Holy Ghost? I'm glad you asked. It's a very important question. How can I get to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? I need to be able to receive. So what's necessary? Well, I think the first thing is to understand very clearly God wants you to have this. Remember what you saw in Acts 2? The, the gift of the Spirit is to you. That's those people there. Your children, that's the children there. And those who are far off, that's us. Everyone. Secondly, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, Fathers know how to give good gift to their children. Won't your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to his children who ask him. So we can see we have to ask. So let me outline for you simple, the simple foundation for receiving. Then we'll pray for you get filled with the Spirit. Probably the best way I could describe it is in, in Mark chapter 11. When Jesus says this in verse 23, 24. Whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, you will have them. Notice the four things in there. Number one, desire. Everywhere in the Bible you find desire is crucial for pursuing something. Sometimes Jesus would say to people, hey, what do you want? Oh, that's singular, sorry. What, would you, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> it's catching, isn't it? Hey, what do you want? You say, what do you want for me to do to you? And it's the blind man, the man's blind. It's obvious. You ask a blind man, what do you want? Hey, what do you want? Uh? See. <laughs> want to see. So many times Jesus would ask people what they wanted. It's important that you want something from God. You must desire it. Some people, they just say, oh, they have this attitude. Well, if God wants me to have it, then I will have it. If he doesn't want me to have it, I, I, I won't have it. Now, you don't get anything in life that way. Can you imagine going to McDonald's? And you get to the front of the queue, and the person say, Hey, what do you want, eh? Oh, whatever you want me to have. You know, I can have that. But if you don't want me to have, I don't have. But why would you... Why would you come to God and, and talk like that? It's so silly. You know what that person in, the, in McDonald's would do? He'd say, hey, go back to the back of the line. Get your head clear. Work out what you want. When you come to the front, say, I want this. So when we come to God, we must know we want something from Him. I want the Holy Spirit. Lord, I so want more of you. I am hungry for this promise that others have had. I see lives changed, and I want it. You know, Pastor Lawrence, uh, I remember very clearly him getting baptized in the Spirit. I was doing a conference at Palebar Methodist Church, and for some reason, even though I was praying for lots of people, every time I, I was moving in the Spirit, moving around praying for people, and I'd come near him and then sort of turn away and go somewhere else. And every time it happened, the same thing for a whole, whole weekend. Finally, he goes home, oh, so disappointed. But this is what he did. He rang up and he said, I am so hungry to be filled with the Spirit. Would you pray for me? And so he actually rang up, made him, I said, yeah, come to breakfast. We come to breakfast. We had breakfast together, we're talking about it. And we forgot to ask him what he'd come for. <laughs> I think he'd come because he needed healing, physical healing. And so he, we, I said, come, come, come to our room. So we come to the room, and he was so open. That's what I love about you, SP. He's so open to God, just such a hungry, humble heart. And so anyway, we lay hands on him and begin to pray. And, and next thing I know, manifest. 
He didn't tell you that bit. <laughs> he got a mighty deliverance, began to weep and weep and weep and weep, and God set him free. And we kept praying. Next, and next thing, he fell over on the bed and he's laughing. <laughs> laughing like a drunk man. I forgot he's a lawyer. He looks like a drunk man. Roll him. Oh, they're laughing. See? And then we stood him up and said, hey, that's right. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit. We pray for him. Next one. And we pray for him, the Holy Spirit. And anyway, he was so exciting. He said, I got to go straight back to my work and I get one of my other workers to come up here and you pray for them too. <laughs> Sally Chu said, Bring her up here to prayer too. So he goes out and then I remembered he came here for prayer of healing and we forgot to heal him. <laughs> but he got healed anyway. God did much more in that one encounter than we ever thought. And of course, it started this church on a whole new direction. We prayed for Sally as well, and, uh, and she got touched by the Lord too. So number one, must want. Two, we need to ask God. We need to come and humbly ask Him, Lord, today as I come near to you, I just want to receive the Holy Ghost. Three, we need to believe He'll give the Holy Ghost to us. You need to make that decision in your heart. God will answer this prayer because it's Jesus' plan. I be filled with the Holy Spirit. I see it in the Word. This promise is for you, your children, all who are far off. This is for you. This is part of God's plan for me. He has an assignment. I need anointing. Desire, ask, believe, receive, and then step out and begin to speak in the new language. There's always a part we play. God will not make your mouth move. You're not a puppet. Some people think, I wait till God tells me to do something, I wait till God, you see, God is not going to tell you to move your mouth. He's not going to make your mouth move like you're some puppet. He's not going to do that to you, you know. You have to actually speak. So you just set your mind on him and you allow the language of the spirit to rise up from within and you begin to praise him and express through the new language how much you love him. How grateful you are to him. God will not make your mouth live. He won't do that. You have to speak. They spoke as the Spirit gave them. I want to extend an invitation to you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. To receive this gift of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Takes away the sins of the world. He comes that will baptize you in the Holy Ghost. If you've experienced Jesus as the Lamb of God who's taken away your sin and you're born again, you can now receive him as a baptizer in the Spirit and let his anointing come upon you. Jesus, anoint me today because you have much for me to do. Today, give me that language. I don't want to be so limited in my praying. I want a language to express the culture of the kingdom. Jesus, give it to me today. Is that your prayer? Why don't we close our eyes for just one minute? How hungry are you for God to touch you? How hungry are you for God's Spirit to come upon you, anoint you? How hungry are you? If this is what you're wanting, this is what this session is about. It's about opening your eyes. There's a promise for you to receive. Jesus will baptize you in the Spirit immerse you, anoint your spirit, clothe you with his presence and power so your life begins to change. Is that you? You want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, receive the gift of tongues, and entrance into a greater realm of living and life? Then please just make your way. Stand right now. Just come to the front. Just stand and make rows across here, across the front now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why don't we just all stand, church? Let's all stand together. 
I'll just instruct people what to do in just a moment. But every person wanting to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, just make your way. Please just come to the front. Let's just begin to build an altar in our heart with the Lord. Just come and open our heart, ready to receive his gift, ready for the Spirit of God to come upon us. Come, come, please come, please come. Make your way to the front now. People want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. People wanting to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's right. God bless. God bless. Just come. Please make your way to the front. Just stand just in a rose across here, eyes closed, just ready for God to touch you. Please come. Please come. There'll be many here, many here needing to be baptized in the Spirit, speaking the heavenly language. Just come, come. Fill the front now. Let's be open for God to touch us. Please come. Please come. Let's come. There's a few minutes we've got left before we break for morning tea. Let's just come. Open ourselves to receive from God. Is there anyone else? Just come. Wanting to receive baptism in the Spirit, gift of tongues. Please just come. Please come. Please come. Are there any others? Just come. 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 Any others today? Come. Please come. Please come. This gift is for you. It is for you. It is for you. It is for you. So just close your eyes. Don't focus on me. Focus on the giver. 